Welcome to Religious Studies News. I'm your host, Christian Peterson, and today I'm here with Wallace Best, Professor of Religion and African American Studies at Princeton University and winner of the AAR Book Award in Textual Studies. He's here to speak to us about his book, Langston's Salvation, American Religion and the Bard of Harlem, published with NYU Press. Congratulations, Wallace, and thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Christian. This is uh, it's wonderful to talk to you, and uh, I'm just so deeply honored by the award from the AAR. I had thought, um, I had very few, or uh, perhaps I had no expectations uh, in writing this book. It was something that I felt deeply about and I felt passionate about. And um, so I gave, I tried to give very little thought to its reception. Uh, but when I got word that it had been awarded, uh, this particular award from the AAR, I was just so thrilled and so happy and so uh, deeply honored by it. a book that I thought perhaps few people would understand. It turns out um, that quite a few people did understand it, and the AAR seemed to understand what I was up to. So I, I, I feel really good about it, and I'm, I'm happy to speak to you about the book. Yeah. Well, it, it is a wonderful book and uh, uh, a very interesting topic in terms of uh, your take on it. So could you tell us perhaps a little bit about, um, perhaps just briefly introduce us to Langston Hughes for, for those who may not be as familiar with him. Um, but then uh, really what brought you to this project? How did it emerge for you? All right. Well, first thing to say is that Langston Hughes um, is perhaps um, one of the most important American uh, poets or writers of the 20th century. He was certainly one of the most important writers of the Harlem Renaissance of the 1920s. Um, and that's, and he's, much, he's most known for that. He was one of the first and primary voices of that literary movement of the 1920s and uh, has been dubbed the Bard of Harlem uh, in the sense that, or the Shakespeare of Harlem in the sense that uh, he spoke so eloquent, eloquently on the behalf of that great movement, which he had some doubts about, uh, and on the behalf of Black people in general. And so his work over the years has been so important to um, uh, uh, Black literary studies, to Black literature. Um, he has been so important. He seemed to have such a clear and concise uh, cultural and uh, political voice that um, his work has been used um, to articulate, I would say, some of our country's highest hopes and some of our deepest fears. Uh, he's widely quoted and widely used across a vast array of political and uh, cultural and even religious perspectives. And so everybody seems to have a piece of him. But that's just how far reaching and uh, how uh, far-reaching his work has been and how deeply it has reached into our own cultural understanding. It seems that Langston Hughes is America's poet to some degree. And I think there are other poets uh, uh, about whom we could say that, but Langston Hughes is certainly one of the, he's, he's America's poet. Mm -hmm. And how I came about uh, this project, as most, as some books do, um, one book uh, comes out of another, and uh, it was during the research for my first book on Chicago, Passion of Human, No Less Divine, uh, where I was uh, trying to do my, I was doing my best to explain some of the wonderful and wondrous transformations in the African-American religious culture in Chicago during the Great Migration, uh, the roughly the first um, 
uh, half century of the 20th century, I kept coming across Hughes's name. Uh, Langston Hughes was there in the archive. And I thought this was strange because why would Langston Hughes show up in the archives uh, as I'm looking at documents referencing, referencing religion, referencing church life, referencing um, uh, theology and so forth. And, and this became, uh, was, was curious to me because uh, like many other people, uh, uh, I came across Langston Hughes or, or Langston Hughes was introduced to me as someone who had very little interest in religion. Uh, had very little to say about it. In fact, he was antagonistic to religion. So uh, finding him in archives on religion was a surprise to me. And what I found was that uh, Hughes had a lot to say about religion. So that, that the depiction of him as having little to say about religion was just clearly wrong. So uh, I began to look uh, deeper into this, uh, particularly after that first book came out as I was beginning to develop my uh, second project, I thought it was going to be a quick book because even I was still convinced that perhaps maybe if Hughes had something to say about religion, it wouldn't be a lot. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> Hughes had a lot to say about religion. And in fact, as I argue in the book, he wrote as much about religion as he did about any other topic. And boy, did he ever. Um, it, it was just an overwhelming archive um, of, of material in its own right on religion uh, from Hughes's work. And so this book is my, uh, I would say, modest attempt to explain uh, the project, Hughes's theological religious project. Um, uh, and I say modestly because I, I think I got close to it, but Hughes is evasive. And that's part of the theme of the book too, is his evasiveness. But even amid that evasiveness, uh, Hughes was quite clear that religion was very, very important to him, and he wrote quite a lot about it. And so the book Langston's Salvation is um, uh, my, my way of, uh, of first arguing that Hughes uh, thought about religion quite a lot, and um, it's an explication of some of his thinking about religion. Now, um, perhaps we could start with a, a kind of wider view um, in terms of kind of thinking about um, Hughes's early life and even uh, even his relationship um, with the uh, artists and writers of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, you, you, you talk about his early life, uh, but you also kind of place him within um, the religious world of Harlem. Mm. <clears throat> yes. um, so can you can you kind of outline this just for so we have a, a context to, to think about uh, the kind of deeper readings you do of some of his work? Right. Well, um, Lexington Hughes had a fascinating upbringing, um, being raised by uh, his grandmother after his father left the U.S. for Mexico, and he had a, an estranged relationship with his father um, and his mother was respectfully, I say, rather flighty. And uh, she was artistic in her own sensibilities and uh, moved around a lot. And, um, and in one of those moves, she simply left Hughes uh, with his grandmother, uh, Mary Leary Langston um, in Lawrence, Kansas. And Hughes, by his own account, uh, had a a wonderful upbringing uh, uh, to some res in, in some respects, but it was a lonely upbringing 
uh, despite the love and care of his grandmother. And when she died, he uh, came to live with uh, some family friends, the Reed family on New York Avenue in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, and they were very, very religious. Hughes at that point uh, had not been raised in a religious home. His um, grandmother was a skeptic uh, and uh, seem seemingly had no relationship to religion or to the church. But when he came to the home of Mary and James Reed, uh, that, that was that was a very different story. They had uh, strong connections. Well, at least Mary Reed did had strong connection to the Methodist Church in town and was keen on bringing Hughes into that world of religion. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. Uh, Hughes had a, a very dramatic uh, experience of actually not finding salvation, and I can talk to you about that in a minute. Um, but that early experience uh, with religion was foundational uh, to him, as it turns out. And he remembered uh, that time in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, and the event of which led to his uh, reckoning with religion as one of the most important moments, one of the three most important moments of his life. So that by the time that he um, is uh, a young man and had moved to Harlem, of course, he becomes a part of all the important literary circles and uh, makes friends with some of the most uh, uh, important voices of the Harlem Renaissance. But what even they didn't know at the time, that Hughes was also becoming very much involved in the world of, uh, in Harlem's world of religion and churches. He was an avid and an eclectic churchgoer. And this is actually one of the, uh, one of my, uh, I have to say, one of my proudest, uh, one of the findings that I'm most proud of, uh, because that really did counter a lot of people's depiction of Hughes. And it did confuse people. It confused me for a while. But Hughes went to church all the time to Catholic mass, uh, to Pentecostal churches, to mainstream churches. He was very, very much involved in these churches. He went to one church in Harlem so often that uh, I interviewed some people who uh, were convinced that he was a member. And I happen to know that he wasn't. It's just that he went all the time. And I can explain why he did this. I, I think he found churches to be fascinating and he also found them to be important. But he also relished in his insider-outsider position vis-a-vis -vis churches as well, though. So he would go, but he would be very much the outsider inside. And so as he's maneuvering his way through this vibrant world of, 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 of writers and artists and uh, just the world of parties and you know, literary events and just having, as it would seem, a grand old time in Harlem during the heyday of the Renaissance. Uh, on Sundays, he's in somebody's church. And it's remarkable because he found it important enough to write about those experiences, uh, the experiences that he had in those churches in Harlem, but also in Chicago, where I found him in the archive. So that's an aspect of Hughes' time during the Renaissance that was incredibly important to him that was in some way shielded from view uh, for the longest time until I was able to uncover that this aspect of his life, he considered it uh, just as important of, as other aspects of his uh, literary career, those early days in the Harlem Renaissance, during the Harlem Renaissance. Now, um, 
this uh, this social context and his 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 particular life um, informs uh, the the kind of religious nature of both uh, his poetry, a lot of which you look at uh, very closely, um, and then also um, productions, right? Uh, the, mm-hmm. the plays that he wrote. So yes, um, you 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 go into these in great detail, and of course we we don't have time to go into everything. Um, but perhaps you could just uh, talk about what what were your um, objectives and trying to go through his poetry um, and these these kind of uh, larger projects of his. Um, what what was the kind of what was the type of engagement he had with religion uh, through these uh, materials? Well, um, I depicted in the book, um, drawing on that great passage in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, that uh, Hughes's work on religion was his way of uh, working out his salvation. Um, and what that means for Hughes, what that meant for Hughes, uh, I, uh, as, as best I understand it, and I try to explain this in the book, is that when Hughes was um, 12 years old, he had this failed salvation experience where he was taken to church by his Auntie Reed, and uh, he was told that he would see, hear, and feel Jesus, and uh, it didn't happen. He sat there on the mourner's bench waiting for Jesus to appear. Jesus never appears. Um, so rather than keeping, uh, rather than keep the congregation there who were wailing and uh, lamenting on his behalf, because he was the last of the quote young lambs to uh, go up and be saved, uh, Hughes went forward and made a false profession of faith, and never got over it. Uh, he writes about this in. A vignette in his 1940 autobiography, uh, where uh, the vignette is called Salvation. And so in a sense, the title of my book, Lengths and Salvation, is meant to be ironic, because in that particular way of salvation, uh, Hughes never found that type of conventional salvation. So his life as a scholar, his life as, uh, uh, as an urbanite, as a sophisticated writer, and as a human being was a search to understand what didn't happen that night. And so everything that he writes about religion, and I try to show this in the book, in some way, in one form, in some way, points back to that night, that night when he failed to see Jesus. So that early work in the 1920s, even that work which becomes much more critical of religion in the 1930s is Hughes using his literary voice and to to try to work out that notion of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? And so he he no longer is asking the question, what is salvation? Uh, He's asking the question, what does it mean to be saved? I mean, he wants to know about this experience that's so integral to African-American life, both aspects of African-American life. And he didn't have it. It was something beyond him, right? So all of this poetry, and even the work in the latter part of his life when he's writing the gospel song plays, uh, the way I read it, you could almost hear him and feel him trying to reckon with that moment. So he never becomes religious. I make it very clear in the book that I have, after all of these years, uh, I cannot say that Langston Hughes was religious. Well, and one way I cannot say that, and one reason I cannot say that is because he never did. He dodged 
every opportunity he was given to be clear about his own personal faith. He dodged it. And I think there's a reason for that because he never could claim to be conventionally religious in the way that Mary Reed back in 1914 wanted him to be. So all of that work on religion is a struggle or not a struggle, maybe it's an attempt, a literary attempt, an honest literary attempt to try to understand the notion of salvation and not just salvation, all the other uh, ways, all the other terms that we uh, attribute to, particularly to, Christ, to uh, Protestant Christianity in terms of atonement. He was fascinated by the notion of atonement, by the way. He was fascinated by the, by, uh, the story of the nativity. And one of his most successful works ever was Black Nativity. It was uh, his way of uh, explaining the story of Christ's birth. Uh, as a theatrical production, it was an all-Black cast, which made it um, uh, quite unique for the day and quite controversial. He was enormously proud of Black nativity. As you read into the very sparse script, though, you can see and uh, that, that same attempt to try to work this out. And so I think it was deeply personal for him when he failed to see Jesus that night in 1914. Uh, well, Failing to see Jesus that night shapes everything, almost everything he has to say about religion up into the 1920s, 30s, 40s. I mean, entire, his entire life, in fact. I, I, I think there's very little of his writing on religion that doesn't in some way uh, uh, show Hughes trying to deal with that formative experience or non-experience, as I describe it in the book. It was it was an incredible, incredible, uh, incredibly shaping moment for him. And uh, <clears throat> you you reflect this through your kind of uh, close reading of uh, many of these poems um, and then these productions. Mm -hmm. um, we'll have to uh, hope the listeners inspired to, to to read the book to find I out more. So. I hope so. Um, yes. I'm wondering though, uh, before I let you go, if you could. Um, just uh, how do you imagine that uh, other folks uh, working in religious studies, uh, perhaps in other subfields, um, how might they uh, benefit from your work, um, either from your your methods or in some of your conclusions? Uh, what what might your book say to them? Or... Thank you for that question, uh, because I'm very happy to answer that question in particular, because um uh, I did have something to say with this book beyond the story of Hughes's journey, um, uh, as it as it were, on the margins of religion, uh, which of, which is fascinating in itself. But if there was a point to be made, um, I think the point is this: Langston Hughes shows us clearly that one need not be religious to have religious practices or to be interested in religion. And that is why I very uh, deliberately uh, describe him as someone who is uh, not so much religious uh, or, uh, or a religious thinker, but he's a thinker about religion. And I think that's quite important because in the past, those who've written on Hughes, they've either ignored this work on religion because they knew it was there or they didn't think it was important, or they didn't think it was religious. My book calls us back to, uh, to take this work seriously on its own terms. 
what it, would it mean to read Hughes religiously? I asked myself that question and it opened up a, it opened up a whole new world. And it opened up a whole new Langston Hughes. When we read Langston Hughes religiously, I think we come to understand his politics better. I think we come to understand his blues poems better because they're infused with religious terminology. We come to understand Langston Hughes better. Uh, if we don't read this work on religion from Hughes, and if we don't get a clearer understanding of Hughes was, it was just that important uh, to Hughes. And so what I am suggesting we as scholars should do, first of all, let's open up um, the, the archive and uh, those materials that we consider to be available to us for the study of religion. Uh, I think Hughes has not been taken seriously by scholars of religion because it's poetry <laughs> uh, or because they're gospel plays or you know there are other kinds of works of art. And so this book challenges us to expand the archive and to recognize that few things are unavailable to us for the exploration of religious analysis or for religious analysis. And so Hughes is a way, uh, his life is a model for religious studies. But I actually think the methodologies that he opens up to us are a model for, uh, for, for religious scholars as well. And so what I'm hoping is that people would use this book to find out something fascinating, a, a Langston Hughes they did not know, uh, who was there all the time. And in fact, Hughes was quite frustrated throughout his life, as I show in the book, that people didn't understand how important religious religion was to him. So now I hope there would be no one who could say that Langston Hughes was anti-religious or that he didn't write anything about religion or that religion uh, uh, was not important to Langston Hughes. I mean, those things, religion was incredibly important to Langston Hughes. And I think when we take that seriously, that opens up the entire Harlem Renaissance, you know, uh, in a way. Now we begin to take this, we can take this religious analysis back to the Harlem Renaissance and take it beyond Hughes. What if there are others uh, who are just sitting there ripe for religious analysis? So reading Hughes religiously enables us to go back and to read the Harlem Renaissance religiously. And I'm excited about what that might mean for that rich, you know, uh, uh, productive period of, of American history. Reading Hughes religiously is important because not only because of, of the Hughes it reveals, but because of, of the way it opens up uh, a whole new understanding of a movement uh, that we thought we knew so well. So I'm, I'm hoping that people will be inspired by the story that I've told in this book, because I, I, I still find it incredibly fascinating. But also, uh, I hope they get the implications of what this may mean for the way that we do works on religion. It really opens up everything and it changes a great many things. Yes, I, I think you uh, certainly accomplished uh, establishing a model for us all, all to follow. And I hope uh, that, that you're right, that hopefully people will uh, use this. So con congratulations on a wonderful book, Wallace. Thank and you. thanks for uh, spending some time talking about it. Thank you. It has been a joy. And thank you very much. I really, really enjoyed this. <laughs>